And it's great to be with you. I'd like to begin uh, this morning just a little bit differently. Uh, it's kind of a kind of a low-grade uh, uh, illustration to help me make a very simple point that maybe sometimes the point sticks longer when you do it a little bit differently. So I want to play uh, two clips. Uh, the first is Orchestra A, and then secondly, Orchestra B. We're going to have a big orchestra down here, and so it's good for us to hear what an orchestra sounds like. We don't often hear an orchestra in this hour of worship, but uh, it's a great uh, little sampling. So what I'd like for you to do is you listen to these two orchestras, A and then B. I'd like you to think, which one sounds better to you? So let's listen to Orchestra A. That's Orchestra A. Now I'd like for you to listen to Orchestra B, see if this sounds any better. I knew there would be a wise guy or two who would uh, yell that out for because uh, they sort of get it. We all get it. Uh, the point has been made. But what makes, uh, for most of us in this room, except for one, but what for most of us makes orchestra B better? What, what is the one significant ingredient that makes B better than A? Robin hand motions, yes. There was a director. There was a director. Now, obviously, that's simple. Easy to observe, focused on him, passionately leading him. He knows the score. He knows the music. He knows the plan. He knows his orchestra. He knows the instruments. He knows the players. And he listens to them carefully and directs them in concert together. And what I love about this, it reminds me of something pretty basic that when you and I, when we live our lives like these orchestras, when we live our lives, we need to live under the directorship of someone who rules well and knows the plan, 
knows what the plan should sound like, knows how the plan should be executed, knows what the final note should sound like at the very end of the piece. And when those instruments, be they trumpets, violins, whatever they may be, when they play, they play in submission to the director's leadership. And when they play in submission to the leadership of the director, they make beautiful music that makes us want to go, want to listen, want to be part of it, very attractive, very winsome. And I think that for us in a broader spiritual realm, that when you and I live under the rulership of one who is directing our lives, who knows how it's supposed to be played, who knows how it's supposed to conclude, who knows how the in-between parts are supposed to sound, that when we live in submission to one who rules over us and knows exactly what our lives should be, then we're living in submission to them. We're much more attractive, much more unified, much more desirable much more pleasing. And it's my prayer that as we talk about the heart of submission this morning, that you and I would understand that we're talking about submission to the one who is the ultimate director, Jesus Christ, who knows exactly how our lives should be played, who knows from the beginning to the end, who knows the in-between parts. And it's interesting to me that even if in an orchestra like this of professionals, occasionally one of them may hit a bad note. Occasionally, one of them may lose their place in the score. They may sort of lose their place in the concert of that music. But they look back at the director, and the director then begins to draw them back into where they need to be. And frankly, there are times in our lives when we sort of hit a bad note in our marriages. We hit a bad note in the job. We hit a bad note with our health. There are things that simply don't play the way they're supposed to play. We don't sound the way we want to sound. And things aren't coming together the way we want them to. But then you go back to the director and the director brings us back into the score of that which has been the plan all along. And then we get back in line. And that's the beauty of being under the rulership of someone who deserves our respect, who rules well, who knows what the plan is, and we submit so easily because He's going to piece it all together for us. Submission is such a beautiful thing, and it's a very attractive thing to be around when it's working well. But sadly, we have marriages where there is no submission. We have marriages where there is no effective leadership. We have churches where there is no submission. We have churches where there is no effective leadership. There are businesses. There are relationships. And boy, it's the sourest of all notes to be around people where there is that kind of confusion and non-submissive spirit and a failure to provide the oversight of directorship in our lives. And they are not pleasing to be with. We want to help those who maybe have hit a few sour notes, sort of lost your place in the score, and for those who are wanting and seeking to live in submission to the rulership of Jesus, we want to hit that sweet spot this morning. And I invite you into it. We're going to talk about the woman who is perhaps the best known in the whole story of the birth of Jesus, and that's his mother Mary. I've given you some facts on the back side of the outline. The back side of the outline show there are some misconceptions as to Mary, and I encourage you to read that for your own benefit. On the front side of the outline are a number of points that I don't expect you to remember every time I say it. So I put it on paper, so if you'd like to refresh your memory as to the character and the heart of one who is submissive to God so that you can make that sweet, sweet sound under the rulership of Jesus that it can be part of the pattern of your life 
as well. I'd like to read the great text where Mary is now being visited by Gabriel. And I encourage you, if you'd like to have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair rack. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible that you can keep it. If you have your own Bible, I want to read from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. This is the great familiar passage of Gabriel's visitation to announce the birth of the baby Jesus and Mary's beautiful, beautiful response. It says in chapter 1, verse 26 of the Gospel of Luke, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth is a podunk town uh, known for its Roman garrisons and immorality. Not somebody, not someplace anybody ever wants to to claim as their own. So he came to this Nazareth town and to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Engagement in those days is sort of like marriage for us today, only there was not a physical consummation yet. So it's a very solid relationship that already Mary and Joseph have enjoyed. They were both of the descendants of King David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He's going to be great. He'll be the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. Let me just say, verse 35, What the Holy Spirit is going to do is a miracle. It is not some sort of a current day in vitro fertilization. It is the Holy Spirit overshadowing to create a human being that has not been in existence before. It's a human being that is going to be the sum total of fully God and fully man. And it's going to be untainted by the sin that we are born with when we're born having a sin nature. So this is a miracle that is going to take place and God is going to use the womb of Mary. So this little embryo that is little tiny cells, they're going to continue to multiply until nine months later that baby comes into this world and breathes its first breath. And this is the miracle of what God is doing, that He would entrust His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be part of that embryo to somehow, in some ways that we don't understand, physically grow so that it becomes a full-born baby. This is the Holy Spirit's miracle within her womb. And in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She is the mother of John the Baptist. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And here is the great submission of Mary. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord... May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. When I think about that, I just think about how long does it take to read? Maybe four minutes, maybe five minutes. This conversation that goes on between Gabriel and Mary. And being asked to bear the son baby Jesus who's going to have a kingdom that's going to last forever. 
and he's going to save his people from their sins and you're going to be the mother of that baby. And she says, how can this be? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to make it happen. And she says, oh yeah, let's, let's get on with it. It's just stunning to me how quickly the heart of Mary is in submission to the will of God. And it's a, it's a powerful lesson that you and I can learn from. And let me just say this. When we study Scripture, if you're a student of God's Word, and I hope that you are, there are two lenses through which we need to see God's Word. The first lens is this. Those of temporary practices of the time in which the letter was written and the time in which the people read the letter and the culture and the setting in which the people lived. For Mary, she is hearing this voice of the angel Gabriel that is speaking the words of God, that she's going to bear a son, she is a virgin, how can this be? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will bear a son, he's going to name of Jesus, he's going to have a kingdom that's going to last forever. Well, there's not a person in this room that's going to have Gabriel come tonight and make that same announcement. That's not our practical, relevant application. But the temporary practice of the day in which they lived is a miracle of what God did in Mary's life and now He impacts us today. So we don't take the temporary practice and say, you know what, that's fascinating, good for Mary, God bless her 2,000 years ago, what a wonderful woman, I'm going to go do my own thing. What we do here in Scripture is the second lens. The first lens are the temporary practices of those things that happened in the first century and the readers and the recipients of the letters of Paul and Luke, etc., Temporary practice. But what we take are the timeless principles. What do we learn from a heart of submission in Mary's life? Not do we give birth to a baby Jesus? No. But we take timeless principles that we learn from Mary's life and we say, this is still relevant for you and me today. This is still where I live. I understand where Mary's coming from and I'm going to take the principles that Mary models for me and make them part of my life. And for every follower of Jesus, we want to take those timeless principles and let them guide us when God calls for you and me to live in submission to Him. And so as we take a look at this, I want to remind you and show you something I caught this last week. I was reading on, online that Amazon is able to look at the Kindles of people and what books they read and what they underline in that Kindle book. I don't know how they do it. It's a little bit scary for me to know that there are people watching what I read and what I underline. But nevertheless, Amazon did a study, and last month in November, they did a study of all the books that Amazon sells. The one book that had the one line that was underlined of the most of all books this last year was from The Hunger Games, the second volume. And the line that was underlined the most is this line you see on the screen. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. And it's staggering to me, you think about America, you think about the people who will read from Amazon, the Kindle, and the Hunger Games, and the movie that's out now. We think that there are people that are struggling to understand the things that are happening to them, and they're not very well equipped to deal with them. It's an underlying anxiety that is prevalent in many people's lives that God's going to bring something to my life and I don't know how to handle it. That circumstances are going to come my way and I don't know how to handle it. That the job, my health, my marriage, my family, my kids, my parents, things are going to happen and I don't know how to handle it. Well, what God wants us to learn from Mary 
is how to handle it, how to respond to it, how God wants to rule over it, that God wants to be the director and help us get from the beginning to the end of the score that He's mapped out for you and me. And we want to be in submission to it. So let's learn from Mary's life. The thing we learn, I learned from Mary's life, a timeless principle that is still relevant for today, is that when I submit to impossible things that God brings into my life that seem way beyond me, God's going to provide. I need to understand that I don't always understand all that He's going to do, but I need to still submit to it. And here, let me take apart this and go through some of Mary's words and just uh, list them quickly. You have them on the outline. But let me just make some observations about this heart of submission, be it done unto me according to your word, in the impossible tasks that God will provide for. For example, if God is working in our lives, God's will can be very perplexing at times. Notice what Mary says. She, Luke records her thinking. She was very perplexed and she says, how can this be? There are some times when we are in submission to God and we don't quite understand what God's will is and why God is doing and allowing what He's doing. And we have this sense of perplexity. And God says, now it comes to the territory. Being in submission to my will doesn't mean that you fully get it. You will be perplexed. You will say, how can this be? We will have those responses to God. We also know that it may create fear. God's will sometimes creates fear. So the angel says, Mary, I don't want you to be afraid. I know you're going to be fearful. The whole concept of a virgin giving birth to a baby, nine months, I mean, it's scary enough to be in a married relationship and have a baby. But to be a virgin, to be engaged, to be susceptible to the stoning by her fiancé Joseph, which she was, and to give birth to a child, there's something very fearful about that. And there's something fearful that God sometimes understands that we will feel when we live in submission to Him. We live in submission and God will reveal His grace. He will suddenly expose us to power and ability and grace that we never would have tasted before. God's will will help me to understand that I'm going to fulfill some greater divine purpose. I may not see it at the outset, but I may see it by the time we get to the last note that is being played in my life because you shall name him's name Jesus and we're going to see how Mary lives this life out Mary's life became much more difficult because she submitted to God her life didn't get easier her life got harder but she was able to say to herself and see within the plan of God and as he directs her life that there's an end game there's a bottom line there is a last way this is going to play out his name is Jesus and you just stay faithful to Him. And He'll bring to fruition the things that you really want in your life. God's will is not impossible because He says nothing will be impossible with God. That God comes along and gives us power that we don't think that we have. And we certainly have no capacity to do what He's asking me to do. But she then nevertheless said, may it be done to me according to your word. God has a way of taking the lives of those of us who submit to the impossible tasks and somehow providing, somehow working. He just asks us to be in submission to the rulership of His life. Even though we're perplexed, we say, how can this be? God, you must be crazy. I don't understand this. This is the beauty of Mary's life. She's illustrating how you and I in submission to God allow God's will to be fulfilled. And somehow in the end, we look back and say, yeah, it was the Lord. Just kind of a real simple, nothing very profound about this, but it just kind of caught my attention this 
This last week I was reading an email I got from a young family who has moved away to another community. But uh, he wanted to thank me for something. And so let me read his email. And it's nothing super profound like a virgin birth, but it's still kind of interesting to me, and I hope it's relatively interesting to you as I make a point. He writes this. Hello, Dr. Mitchell. (laughs) So right away, I was very attracted and thought, this guy, he's really sharp. He says, hello, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you for going to Westmont. Westmont? Curtis and Karen Yates, three of us. Oh, Esh, Esh, four of us. Sorry, Biola fans. But thank you for going to Westmont. How long ago was that? I can't hardly even remember. Because, and here is what he says. It's just interesting what he thought to write to me. Because you went to Westmont, you met the guy who encouraged you. Now, the guy who encouraged me is a fellow by the name of Bob Barrows, and I've shared this, where we sat in Jack and Jill restaurant, and he challenged me, Dave, you're sitting on the fence, and you need to get off the fence and be committed. And so, as a result of Bob's encouragement, confrontation, if you will, I then totally 100% submitted to Jesus Christ, and he began to take control of my life. He became my director, if you will. So that's who he's referring to. Because you uh, met the guy who encouraged you, then at Westmont you met Joy. Joy would be my wife for 40 years. She's put up with me. Joy was roommates with Charlotte. And we still have a wonderful relationship with Charlotte. We still hang out with Charlotte from those many years ago. Charlotte later had me. I moved to Irvine to go to college. I needed to find a good church near school. I knew you, so I went to Calvary. After going to Calvary a couple of years, I met my wife. And then you married us, and now we are husband and wife together with a little family of small three little kids. Since you decided to go to Westmont, God was able to direct my path to the woman of my dreams. Doesn't every wife here want their husbands to be able to say that? Yes? (laughs) Thanks for sharing your life with us on Sunday mornings. It helps bring the messages home. Now, why, why do I read that? It really hit me when I read that, that here's a young man that because I went to Westmont, because I surrendered in submission to God to fulfill His will, however imperfect I do that, and I will, I will hit the sour notes as badly as about as anybody else, and I'll lose my way every so often with attitudes. I'll get there. I'll tell you, I can get there. Just ask my wife. She's seen me at the best and the worst. For 40 years, she's put up with me. But because I still have a passion and desire to submit to the will of God, even when perplexed, even when I ask, how can this be? I marry a wife, Joy. We have a friend named Charlotte. She has a boy that wrote me this note. He meets his wife. They have their children, and they're blessed by God. And I thought, what would have happened had I never submitted to the Lord my junior year of Westmont College? What if I completely rebelled against anything God ever wanted me to do? 
and missed the woman of my dreams and missed coming to Calvary Church, missed the opportunity to connect with him again, having known him as a little baby, watching his mother have this young little family. What if I had pastored this church and after he came to this church, I had a grievous sin and I was rebellious against God and refused to submit to God's will. And he came to this church and said, Man, I want nothing to do with a person who does the things, Dave, that you do. And he goes off and he does his own thing. How would that have impacted his life? Who would he have caught? Who would he have married? How blessed would he feel? And I never would have gotten a little note like this that says, Thanks, Dave, for walking the walk and staying submissive and letting the pieces fit together. And here's what I really want to say on that. It made me realize that every decision I make, every deed that I commit, every attitude I express, every word I express, it has an impact. And when I walk in submission to God, There are positive things that will ripple into other people's lives like this young man where eventually he pieced together a beautiful picture of God and him living in submission to the Lord as well. And when I hit those sour notes, when I go off and want to play my own notes like the first orchestra A, and every man does what's right in his own eyes, and I play whatever note and whatever tune, whatever music I want to play, and I don't care what God says, I don't care what it does to other people. When I live in rebellion against God, it has a ripple effect of tearing apart the fabric of relationships of people all around me that are looking to me to be in submission to God. And for every marriage that hits a sour note and that refuse to come back into the directorship of Jesus Christ, and for every relationship and friendship that hits a bad patch of life and lives in rebellion against God, it has a ripple effect against those that love Him the most. And so the heart of submission of Mary, be it done unto me according to your will, that ripple effect has resonated for 2,000 years. And you and I are in this room, you are putting up with my message right now, And we're worshiping the baby Jesus having died on the cross for our sins. Why? Because Mary said, be it done unto me according to your world. And the ripple effect has now resonated around the world. Because one woman said, God, I'm going to submit to your will. As perplexing and difficult as it is, I submit. And now we are being impacted by it to this day. Your submission and my submission will also resonate in the people's lives that we love the most. As married people, as single people, as employed people, as unhealthy people as we may be, submission to God makes beautiful music in the lives of those who look to us. Let's model it like Mary did. The other thing that I noticed about Mary's life is this. When I submit, sometimes there's confusion and frustration. There's no question I've had my share of frustration and confusion in my life. There's things that have happened at Calvary Church that I just pulled out what little hair I had left. And that's part of the reason I'm as gray as I could be this morning. 
really aggravating. But I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Here's a very real-life story of Mary and Joseph. And uh, Jesus is now 12 years old. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, that's springtime. And when he had become 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And here is the sentence, but his parents were unaware of it. Painful. But supposed him to be in the caravan, I learned from that I will never assume anything about my kids. Trust, but verify. But they supposed him to be in the caravan. It's not a Dodge van. It's a you know, group of people. And went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And after three days, let's just stop right there. Three days, moms and dads in the room, how would you feel if for three days you can't find your 12-year-old boy? Man, I'd be going crazy after three hours. But three days. Can you imagine Mary's prayer life after three days? God, I'm sorry I lost your son Jesus. It's, it's unbelievable. And so for Mary and Joseph, this is real. These are real people with real feelings and real struggles. And they can't find their son Jesus. It really sort of squelches the devotional life. So after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And of course, this goes way beyond just the parenting thing. This is... Jesus fulfilling the call of God and his ministry to the uh, nation of Israel and so forth. But let's get back to the parenting thing. In verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us in this way? Mary, scolding God? Is that what she's doing there? There's something about that, that if I'm Mary, I'm a little ticked off at Jesus. And it's pretty tough to be ticked off at Jesus. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. They don't get it. There's a lot about God I don't get. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Notice this period of confusion that when I'm in submission to the will of God it doesn't negate it doesn't exempt me from a period of confusion and frustration that God's will is playing out but I feel like I want to be part of it but I don't get what he's doing I'm not sure I can trust him here are some of those qualities very quickly his plans may astonish me at times the word astonish that Mary used there is to be struck out of my mind. I'm out of my mind, God, with what you're doing. Why this health issue? Why this job issue? Why this financial issue? Why this relationship issue? God, I'm so frustrated by that. Secondly, His plan may cause painful anxiety in me. You, you, I have been anxiously looking for you. Your father Joseph and I have been anxious. Anxiety, sometimes in the heart of submission. It's part of my life. And I don't like that. I don't like that. 
His plan may frustrate me. Why have you treated us this way? Why have you treated this way? It takes me way back thinking about Mary and having babies and all that. I've shared with you, but boy, I remember when Joy and I uh, were first married. We were seven years into our marriage with no children, and then two years of infertility. Finally, she gets pregnant. She has a miscarriage after three months. And we say, God, why are you treating us this way? At the same time that we're going through that painful stuff, I'm counseling a 16-year-old cheerleader in our church whose father is the chairman of our deacon board who has become pregnant because she had a sexual relationship with her boyfriend in high school. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I committed my life to you. I submitted my life to you to come to this church and pastor this church. And she, living in sin, is now the one pregnant, and we have just lost our baby. And I'm saying to my Lord, God, why are you treating me this way? We, we get that from Mary. And I may not understand what he's doing, because there's lots of times, and I don't understand God. She says, but they did not understand. But finally, nevertheless, her heart remains. May it be done unto me according to your will. I love that about Mary. That when we go through those frustrations, we still know who the director is. We still know what my part is. That I still need to live in harmony and unity with his leadership in my life. And that even in those painful circumstances of life, that God is still the one who is perfecting his plan. And I want to sound the very last note according to His will. Now, we've gone from Mary at the birth announcement. We've gone to Mary at a 12-year-old that they're trying to understand. And who can understand a 12-year-old? Even Jesus. And now we come with Mary to the cross. Mary stood underneath the cross and looked up and saw her son Jesus on that cross. And Jesus says, Behold your son, Mary, Mom. And then he turns to John the Apostle, Behold your mother. He gave his mother into the care of the Apostle John. But one of the vivid scenes that we don't know if it's in Scripture, but it sure brings the passion and compassion and, and the humanity of Mary was captured so well, not by my words, but by the movie The Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson, just unbelievable. And there's a scene where Jesus is carrying his cross to the hill for crucifixion. And he creates this event where Mary watches her son stumble on his way. We don't know if it's in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. We don't know if it happened. But it sure reveals the unsanitized view of Mary's heart of submission to God. Let's take a look at it.
Dilla questo. Questo. Dilla. Dilla ma te cari I tell you, I just, every time I see that, I get a little choked up, and I'm not a choked up kind of a guy. But it helps me to enter into the life of a woman that said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. And that when she said that, she had no idea that she would experience that. And to stand at the cross and watch her son die, and for six hours hang on that cross, be brutalized, she had no idea. That's what she submitted to. When we submit to God, He has a higher calling, but it's not pain-free at all times. And so truth in advertising, submission to the Lord, it's hard. That's why I love this quote, Andrew Murray. hundred years ago, this guy wrote, when he was going through some diversity, uh, adversary relationship with people, First, God brought me here. It is by His will that I am in this difficult place and that I will rest. Second, He will keep me here in His love and give the grace in this trial to behave as His child. Third, Andrew said, I must say, God will make a trial a blessing, teaching me lessons He intends me to learn and working in me the grace He means to bestow. And finally, I should say, in His good time, he can bring me out again, and so I will say, I am here by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, for His task. I just see Mary. I see Mary's heart in that. I pray that all hearts are in that, that we would see that, God, I want to submit to You. You are the director. You know best. There's perplexity. There's confusion. How can this be? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. It's part of the journey. But who else do we have to go to but the one who is in charge? Who knows how the last note should sound? And the thing that I want to invite you into is this attitude of, May it be done unto me according to your word. And I'm just going to stop with this one verse. Here is the verse that everybody needs to submit to. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son who died on that cross to pay for my sins that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And my question for each of us is this. Do you believe in Jesus as the Savior of your sins who has come to die in your place to forgive you of your sins? And I'm inviting you to say as Mary would have said Lord be it done unto me according to your word. Yes, I want to believe. We're going to receive communion after I pray. But I want to invite anybody who'd like to make that decision to say, Lord, that's the beginning point. Way back in college when I was a junior, that was what I submitted to God for. God, I submit to you. Jesus be my Savior, my Lord. I invite you into that and let Him then direct your life and live in submission to all that He would call for you. Because there's no better place to be that under the rule of a man who loves me so much that Jesus is willing to die for me. So let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you have given to us an example of a woman who, Lord, when she said, be it done to me according to your word, had no idea all that that entailed, and nor do we, nor do I. 
And God, the journey with you is exciting, it's exhilarating, it's confusing, it's frustrating. And God, that there will be those moments, as with Mary, where we say, how can this be? I do not understand. I'm very perplexed. But God, how compassionate you are that you just invite us into that life to trust you, to be teachable, to learn from you, to continue to guide us, even when it seems to make no sense. Father, I invite any here today who needs to have that original submission to you, that is, to believe in Jesus, to put their life into His hands as the one who will forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all bad things they've ever done so that they make you in charge of their lives. And if you'd like to make Jesus your ruler, your Savior, the one who would forgive you of your sins, pray with me this. Jesus, I want to submit to you now. I don't understand all that you will do, but I trust you to forgive me of my sins now. I need your forgiveness. Cleanse me. Heal me. Guide me. Strengthen me. I want to walk according to your will. So help me. As I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.